This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, O Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Second, 2022-year-old pal Justin Robert Young joining you with less than a week to go before the midterms. Halloween in our rear view mirror. No has vembered and we are ready, willing and able to break down this fast evolving midterm situation. We are going to speak to our friend Evan Scrimshaw. He's been with us since the summer. And before that, talking about the polls. We're going to read to him our spectrum of possibilities and find out whether or not he is a gas leak optimist. Is he a believer in Brandon's last stand? Does he maybe believe with this rightward trend in the polls that the old crow might call at midnight? Or is this a Latuya Bay, Alaska style tsunami? For the Republicans, stay tuned for that one. We will also do our own breakdown of all the polls. I will let you know where the numbers are as of Tuesday afternoon. In fact, you want to know, we're going to release this as soon as I finish it because these numbers are coming out fast and furious. Uh, We're going to go over the betting markets. We're going to go over the polling averages. We're going to go state by state through the Senate calendar, as well as a late-breaking poll that might upend everybody's calendar. We're also going to take a look at the New York governor situation because that is a race that should not be close. By the time that the midterms happen, it might not be close. But if we are in a Latuya Bay situation, if we are in a red tsunami situation, well, then this is the kind of wacky stuff that happens. Uh, uh, a Republican being competitive, if not winning statewide in New York, a state that was like Biden plus infinity. But before we get started with anything, some uh, sad news. Uh, Obviously, there was the attack on Paul Pelosi over the weekend. We talked about it a little bit in our PX3 Extra, where, especially for patrons, we engaged in a little bit of newsroom conversation. It's the kind of conversations you happen when you are covering a story with unfolding data. And uh, while we needed to wait for all the information, we were also, as you do in a newsroom, you speculate a little bit just so you can have an idea on where your coverage is going to go and the kind of questions that you want to ask. Well, we have more information here. 
I'm going to read from Punchbowl Media. Speaker Nancy Pelosi and her husband Paul Pelosi will undergo a, quote, long recovery process after an alleged assailant attacked him with a hammer in their San Francisco home on Friday morning. The 82-year-old Paul Pelosi remains hospitalized following surgery for a fractured skull. This is Pelosi's statement that came out Monday evening. Since the horrific attack on Paul early Friday, we've been deluged with thousands of messages conveying concern, prayer, and warm wishes. We are most grateful. Thanks to the excellent trauma care medical team at Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital, Paul is making steady process on what will be a long recovery process. And our family thanks everyone for their kindness. The Justice Department has charged David DePepe Monday with assaulting a family member of a federal official and an attempted kidnapping. The DOJ laid out in gruesome detail how DePepe planned to hold Paul Pelosi hostage until the speaker returned to the couple's San Francisco home. DePepe, according to the criminal complaint, planned to break the speaker's kneecaps to send a message to other Democratic lawmakers. Police found gloves, rope, tape, and zip ties in DePepe's backpack and in the Pelosi residence. DePepe is expected to make an appearance in federal court uh, today, but that was written about uh, Tuesday, if you are listening to this on Wednesday. The San Francisco District Attorney's Office might also charge DePepe. What is new here is, number one, an erasure of a fact that was reported by police over the weekend, which was that there was a third person in the home when things happened. The way that the Justice Department is explaining this Break in now is that there was forced entry in the back glass door. That DePepe went to the master bedroom, woke up Paul Pelosi, said, where's Nancy? Paul Pelosi was not zip tied or taped, but made his way to the bathroom wherein he called police without making it a scene. The police came to the home, according to the Department of Justice and and the district attorney, both men opened the door and then there was a struggle over the hammer that led Pelosi to be hit with it. Pepe telling uh, investigators that he did go there to intimidate and kidnap Nancy Pelosi that he wanted to have her tell the truth, and should she tell a lie, he would break her kneecaps, with the hope being that she would have to wheelchair into Congress, which would send a message of what lying meant for politicians. Obviously a gruesome crime. Certainly there has been a lot of uh, reckless speculation on... Uh, this topic, uh, you know, as a lot of unfolding stories have a lot of speculation because there is, you know, insecurity in the details. So if if initially it is reported through the police that there was a third dude in the house and then all of a sudden we find out that there is not, then obviously the things that we had in our mind when there was three people in the house would not be the case. So there we go. We wish Paul Pelosi a speedy recovery. That is certainly a scary situation for a 82-year-old man.
And obviously all the best for the Pelosi family in general. One last somber note, outside of politics, uh, rest in peace to takeoff of the iconic group Migos, uh, shot in Houston, fatally. And with that, obviously, uh, uh, some grim news, but we move on. We talk about the midterms in the only way we know how. But first... According to Real Clear Politics Average, the expectation based on aggregate polling is for the Republicans to pick up anywhere between 15 to 48 seats next Tuesday evening. That would be an average of 31 seats. That would be enough to take the House. Meanwhile, based on aggregate polling alone, There would be two pickups in the Senate. That is Herschel Walker currently, who is up 1.4, and Adam Laxalt, who is up 0.6 in Nevada and Georgia, respectively. And yet, in their personal projections, they are saying it would be four pickups as they are adding Pennsylvania and Arizona to that list. Okay, what do the bettors say? These are the betting markets. The betting markets right now have the Republicans as a 69-cent leader in their bid to control the Senate, and they have it by way of those same four seats that Real Clear Politics said that they would take, specifically Georgia, Pennsylvania, Nevada, and Arizona. Uh, We have not seen anything yet on New Hampshire. We'll get to why that has been something to look at. But first, let's go to Georgia. I said this from the moment that I landed in Savannah before that Senate debate, that Herschel Walker had been hit by the megaton scandal bomb. And not only that, but he had people within his own tent that were jumping up and down and pointing to it. We are talking specifically about the Daily Beast saying that he had not only paid for an abortion, he wrote a thank you or get well card to memorialize the occasion. And then later it was revealed that that woman is the mother of one of his children, and Walker had asked for another abortion after that. Or rather, before the kid. He wanted the other kid aborted. Anyway, that was what it was. What's worse is that the son for which Herschel Walker has never denied, Christian, a influencer on TikTok and Instagram, for Republican causes, was none too pleased. 
Indeed, he had very, very, very explosively crossed words for his father and continued to snark online. I remember one tweet that was, use a condom, SMH. And yet, after all that, Walker wasn't dead. In fact, he was running the Trump playbook. That the bigger the mud slung at you, the more it proves that they are after you. The capital T, capital H, capital E, capital Y, they. That the Democrats are so eager to hold on to this seat that indeed they would dig up such vicious lies. He then also said about his son, well, I love my son. Okay, cool. And since then, and what I thought was a good debate performance, well, Walker has only lost one poll. We're, we're going to go through this again with Evan Scrimshaw, but aside from one New York Times-Siena poll, this has been Walker's month. October was, was Walker's month. He began with a good debate and, and only sort of continued to move from there. Crucially, let me just read you the uh, percentages that he has gotten in each of these polls, however. 46, 46, 49, 48, 46, 48. Now, I'm not asking you to be a quant here, but go ahead and run all them numbers through your head and tell me which of them is above 50%. Yeah, that's right. None of them. That means that this race is likely headed to a runoff no matter who wins, Warnock or Walker. Now, remember, Warnock got to the Senate by way of a runoff because he was not able to beat Kelly Loeffler by over 50%. Walker is, for my money, a stronger candidate than Kelly Loeffler. But it doesn't look like he's going to be able to break 50 so if neither can break 50, then that means we're going to table this race because it might be the only thing that we have to talk about from next Wednesday until when the runoff would happen on December 6th. Let's swing on over to Arizona, a race for which I thought was done like dinner. Mark Kelly, the astronaut, over Blake Masters. And when you look at the polling in Arizona, it is closer. You know, we were seeing Kelly running ahead by six points, eight points, five points. And so now when you see Susquehanna has Kelly up three, Daily Wire Trafalgar has Kelly up one, Fox 10 Insider Advantage has Kelly up two. These are all uh, uh, Republican-leaning polls. Ohio Predictive Institutes, Kelly by 10. New York Times, Siena, you're going to hear that name a lot because they released a bunch of polls, but they have them up six. The only person that has Kelly and Blake Masters tied is Data for Progress, a Democrat-leaning firm that says this is all knotted up. In my mind, while Blake Masters has not proved himself to be the most inspiring candidate, he's not running against somebody who is Mr. Charisma in Mark Kelly. If this is close, and if Blake Masters wins, this is the lake effect. 
Because right now, Carrie Lake, despite the fact that she is further to the right in term, in terms of the Trumpy elements of her populism, especially when it comes to the election of 2020, is running a far stronger campaign against Katie Hobbs. Now, you can say that Katie Hobbs is running a disastrous campaign, and I'd be inclined to agree with you, but... There is no doubt that as it stands right now, with less than a week to go until Election Day, that the star of this cycle is Carrie Lake. And so if she has Republicans excited, this is not like Brian Kemp and Herschel Walker. Brian Kemp is far more subdued. Carrie Lake is out there. So if she's got a lot of people going to the polls, they are almost certainly going to vote for Blake Masters. There's I don't see Carrie Lake. Her 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 base is not the the suburban Georgia voters. Right. This is, you know, either you are going to vote for Carrie Lake and Blake Masters. I don't know how many ticket splitters there would be. I don't know if you are worried about Carrie Lake that you would vote for her and Mark Kelly feels to me like a package deal. So if we wind up seeing that come to fruition. That is my take on that race. Let's swing to the most fascinating race, the one that we have been fixated on for this entire cycle, Dr. Oz, John Fetterman. I'd love to give you guys a bunch of polls here. Boy, would I love to. Here's the problem. There ain't a bunch of polls that have come out since that debate. You guys know my position on the debate. We're going to talk about it more with Scrimshaw, but I thought it was an absolute disaster. If you were to write down on paper what you don't want to happen, if you're a Fetterman supporter, most of what happened happened. And yet, we've had two polls that have come out since. A New York Times-Siena poll that has Fetterman up five. That's great. Here's the problem. Half that poll was taken before the debate happened. I don't know who made that scheduling decision at the old gray lady, but maybe she needs some bifocal so she can keep an eye on the dates better. And then you have Insider Advantage, which is a Republican-leaning poll. That has Oz up three, but it was a snap poll taken the day after the debate. So I don't really trust that one either. Considering any kind of snap poll, I mean, these that was the same thing that showed Warnock up 20 over Walker the day after the Daily Beast stuff happened. I tend to believe that this Oz Fetterman race is going to be close, extraordinarily close, very, very close. I don't suppose that we are going to know a winner to that until well into the night. This is a 50-50 state. Both candidates are sufficiently scuffed. And that's the name of the game. Let's head to the Silver State, where we are going to be this weekend. And by we, I'm bringing, I'm bringing a, a, a teammate. My We're Not Wrong compatriot, Jen Briney, has agreed to do a ride-along. And uh, I've already been sending her, hey, by the way, we're landing at like 6.30 in the morning on Friday. 9.30. 9.30 in the morning, local time, in the Silver State. 
we can go ahead and drive on out to Pahrumpf, Nevada for a Second Amendment coffee breakfast with Adam Laxalt. <laughs> I'm so excited. That's the kind of dirt under the fingernails. Uh, 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 the, the dirt under the fingernails politicking that I love and I know she loathes. But anyway, the, it's going to be good. We're going to have good content for you this weekend. Let's take a look at the numbers here. Much like many of the Republican candidates, October was more treat than trick when it came to the polls. Uh, Laxalt got a plus one, plus one, plus two, plus four. Masto, meanwhile, got only a plus two from Univision, a Univision poll, and a plus two from the Nevada Independent, that both of those are organizations that lean left. More crucially, we kept saying all these New York Times, Siena, New York Times, Siena, New York Times, Siena. Most of them were very favorable. To the Democrats, not this one. This was the only poll for which showed a tie. And that was pretty much the end of the segment. Until seconds before I was about to step into the booth. Because... We're going to find out in a week whether or not this was some of that random noise that that tends to get ginned up right before an election. Or if it is a sickening crack in an iceberg that portends only horrible things for the Democrats. It is a St. Almsom poll showing. That in New Hampshire, sitting Senator Maggie Hassan is one point behind General Don Bulldog. Can Mr. Bulldog get Swifty all the way to the Senate? The last time that St. Elmsom College pulled this race, it was Hassan by six. Hassan by six. And a reminder that Maggie Hassan knew she was in trouble in this race very early on. A reminder that she went down to the border, that she has broken with Biden on certain things. She was going to leave nothing to chance when it came to trying to differentiate herself as an independent. Now, a lot of that was thought to be keeping Chris Sununu, the Republican governor, out of this race, which effectively happened. Sununu running ahead in his race for re-election as governor. But if New Hampshire is in play, then it's a long night for the Democrats. Don Bulldock being up one swinging seven points in the final week of this race. That's, that's Latuya Bay, Alaska stuff. You know, it's, if you're, if you're worried about the returns in New Hampshire and not the returns in Atlanta 
not the returns in Pittsburgh, not the returns in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. If you are worried about those, you're going to have a bad time if you're the Democrats. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you, thank you, thank you for supporting this show. We've seen a bunch of new names. Two of them have been added to the Donors Club right up there at the top of the program. We've got a new one in our Titanic $10 tier. A very quick reminder. Now, look, this is the week. I told you, look, I've been happy with the content that we've been producing throughout the last few weeks. But you're going to get bonus content from Nevada this weekend. You are going to get bonus content uh, that happens throughout the rest of the week. Uh, uh, you know, certainly if this goes to a runoff in Georgia, that's going to be something. So head on over there right now. Take politicsseriously.com. $3 level gets you the bonus stuff. Do it for a week. Do it for a week and then cancel it. This is a good time. It's a very, very good time to do it. I say all that to say this. I'm going to take a little bit of a break after the election episode. The election episode is going to feature myself, uh, at least Jen Briney and Andrew Heaton, possibly Brian Brushwood. It will be recorded as we do our live coverage on my Twitch, which is px3live.com. Again, px3live.com. So that'll come out ASAP as soon as I feel like there is a, you know, that there is something to this. We will put that out. But on Friday's episode, I am going to kind of be a little lazy. I'm going to do an AMA. So if you have any questions about the production, the research, any of the races that we just saw the results to. Now is the time to send in your questions. The young American at gmail.com. Again, the young American at gmail.com. I will answer as many of them as I can, but this Friday after the midterm episode will be an AMA episode. I like the idea of making this a tradition. You know, because we're going to put a lot into that that coverage. And so having something a little more evergreen, a little fan servicey, that's what I want to do. And I want to do it for you. So head on over there right now. Take politicsseriously.com. Sign up for the bonus stuff. And if you want your question read in the AMA, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. All right, real quick, I want to go over two governor's races that I do not suspect will be particularly close. Unless, unless I watched the Kathy Hochul, Lee Zeldin debate last week. Uh, I broke it down in larger detail on the Patreon bonus. However, I 
I was not particularly impressed with Hochul's um, general sense of things. She's running a very national uh, race. You know, she talks a lot about January 6th. She talks a lot about Lee Zeldin's voting record in the House. And that's fine. She's in a very comfortable Biden winning state. So you don't, you know, if you can just carpet bomb, that's, that's okay. But Lee Zeldin is focused on one thing and one thing only crime, 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 crime. So all I'll say is this crime is bad right now and it's bad in big cities. There is no bigger city in America than New York City. Anecdotally, I've heard some pretty raw stuff, including from listeners of this show that are Democrats, diehard Democrats, and they're just like, hey, uh, uh, my neighborhood is dangerous right now. People are getting robbed, they're getting beat, and the cops don't even show up. So, if that is the case, and voter turnout is down in New York, and there is a very motivated populace to punish the Democratic Party, then Lee Zeldin has the beginnings of a shot. The one thing that I would suspect would be the narrative if that were to happen is that, look, this was still fruit of the poison tree. Kathy Hochul is. Andrew Cuomo and Andrew Cuomo obviously was so unpopular that he had to leave. There was no reason to, to think that Kathy Hochul was going to put a total refresh on that. So blah, blah, blah. That's why it happened. I don't think it's going to happen, but something to keep an eye on specifically when we look at the polling, Quinnipiac had Hochul up four. Uh, WNYT-TV had Hochul up six. The Hill had Hochul up eight. But Trafalgar, Trafalgar, which this is their bread and butter. They're going to be a Republican outlier poll unless the Republican wins, then they're the Oracle, right? They have this race tied. Again, don't think Zeldin's going to win, but, 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 but. Similarly, we look west to Michigan. Gretchen Whitmer, one of the most present faces during the pandemic, both during Trump and with Biden, somebody that was mentioned as a possible vice presidential pick. She is running in a race against Tudor Dixon. Not a lot of money in this race for Dixon. And yet, and yet, and yet. We have a Whitmer plus two, Whitmer plus seven, Whitmer plus nine. And then two tied polls. One, yet again, from Trafalgar and the other from Insider Advantage, another Republican-leaning poll. Here's a question I want to ask our, our guest who's coming up in this next segment, Evan Scrimshaw. As I don't suspect that he, he believes either of these are really close, but... 
if you were to bet on one of them, which would you bet on? Because, man, it, it, it might just be, I mean, you know me and my vibes. You know me and my vibes. But, you know, despite the fact that Lee Zeldin has all the energy of, you know, the third guest on, on an Opie and Anthony program from 2004, I just get the sense that that's close. I don't know why. I just have a sense. I got a feeling. I got a vibe. You guys know how seriously I take my vibes. But let's go ahead and ask Evan. The long and winding road bum bum that leads us to the midterms. Uh, we've walked this road with Mr. Evan Scrimshaw the entire time. We have broken down polling trends, what's real, what's not. And now we lock in our final guesses. Let's welcome him back. Welcome back to the show, Scrim. All right, here we go. A week out. Uh, I always start with this. Uh, uh, Where do you see control of the Senate after the midterms? Democrats are still sizable favorites to win the Senate. So to 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 continue control. So 50 50 at least. Yep. Now, when you say sizable favorite. Like that is something that at least some of the aggregates have come back on. Five thirty-eight has it at fifty-fifty now. Why do you say sizable? Because, and we'll get into why I think this, but um, the thing is that when you only have four competitive, like truly competitive uh, Senate seats, if you're higher than consensus on any one candidate, you're like that. That changes the math very substantially, and I am way way above aggregators or market on Raphael Warnock winning. So I, I think Democrats are in really, really good shape in 49 seats. And then they only need one of the two others to come through. Whereas the aggregators think basically they need to win two of three seats because they think George is close to a toss up, which I disagree with. Which you disagree with. So we will do a deep dive on Georgia in a second. But uh, before we get into that, let me ask you some polling questions, uh, because you pay attention to a lot of this, uh, the the, the guts of this art more than I do. There has been a dialogue amongst folks who pay attention to polls about the difference between the amount of partisan polls versus nonpartisan polls in this entire midterm cycle. Obviously, we know that partisan polls are paid for by campaigns and nonpartisan polls are not. But in the functioning of a poll, be it partisan or or, or otherwise, what is different between those two sides? That a partisan poll only gets released when it's good for the side that it is partisan for, with like a couple of exceptions, whereas uh, nonpartisan polls just come out when their media contract sets to, right? The New York Times makes an editorial decision about when they want to release their polls. And it doesn't really matter what the poll says. They just have to release it. Whereas if you're a private partisan pollster and you get your poll back and you're like preparing to leak it and then it 
looks bad for the candidate you support, uh, that's going in the bin and that's not getting shared. So the risk of partisan polls is that you're getting a skewed sample because you're only getting the cherry picked best polls. Um, and then on the Republican side, you have a few bolsters who um, are also making methodologically potentially unsound efforts um, that are, are trying to, that are, that worked in 2020, which might not work as well in 2022. Um, but yeah, it's mostly that partisan polls only come out when they're good. You don't see, generally speaking, you don't see partisan pollsters releasing polls that are really bad for their candidates. And I would I would agree with that. But, you know, we had that raft of data for progress polls, which is a a Democratic pollster. I mean, the rumor is that they're they're Fetterman's pollster in Pennsylvania and the polls that they came out with showed, you know, Republican leads or or in Arizona a tie. Yeah, the thing about DFP is that their reputation is the absolute gutter from 2020. And so they're trying to salvage their reputation by putting out a bunch of uh, bias towards Republican polls, which we saw with the uh, New York 19th special election, where they had Mark, where on the day of the special, they had Mark Molinaro, the Republican winning by eight. He lost by two and change. So DFP is trying to like salvage their reputation after an extremely bad 2020. Um, which is the other thing that we don't know about the polls, who's overcorrecting, who's correcting the right amount and who isn't correcting enough. So, And I guess that that is the question, is that no matter what, if you are using polls to determine who is going to win, then the question is how accurate you are skimming that populace. And the one thing that we have seen is, A, getting data is harder than it ever has been. And B, it seems as if accurately uh, measuring Republican enthusiasm is something that is at least enough of a challenge that the question is how much you skew the poll to make up for it, right? Right. And then it's where do you skew because not all states have the same polling errors. And then it's if a pollster releases um, just like certifiably nuts results in a poll of one place, do we then adjust how much we're skewing like if they really said New York governor poll that, you know, seems laughably on, on like implausible, do we then, do we then rethink the adjustment we make in the Midwest? And it's just like, it's just, it's all a mess. And because there's so many pollsters, you have a lot of pollsters in America, even if you don't have the same quality quantity of polls. Yeah. And it's like trying to remember the difference between all of these like vaguely partisan, but not campaign polls. <laughs> It takes up too much of my brain. It is. It is. You know, the. I mean, I've only really been been, you know, fully immersed in this for a living since 2016. But uh, the landscape in polling has changed, I feel like, three times since then. Like we, we've seen people kind of shuffle in and shuffle out and rise and fall, uh, 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 you know, almost, you know, every, every cycle there seems to be new polling outfits and and old ones that either don't release as much or or have a damaged reputation but i guess it's because we've had a couple rounds of of not great polling right yeah exactly like the there's been this conversation like well if if these like right wing republican polls aren't reflective of reality why aren't democratic pollsters responding and i'm like cuz who the hell would believe any of these crap democratic 
pollsters after they spent the entirety of 2020 trying to tell us things like Joe Cunningham's going to win by 13 and Democrats are close to winning, you know, South Carolina and, uh, you know, John Ossoff was going to win outright on election night. Like no one would believe these pollsters and rightly so. And so it's like, well, are they not releasing because their internals are bad or are they not releasing because they correctly know that no one would believe them anyways? All right. Before we get into the Senate, where we're going to spend the most of our time during this interview, I do have one governor question for you. And I presume that the answer is that the Democrat will win both. But if you were forced at gunpoint to bet on one total BSI a GOP governor upset on the midterms, would it be Zeldin over Hochul in New York or Dixon over Whitmer in Michigan? Dixon over Whitmer. And I, yes, I don't think either of them are going to win, but like, and for the record, neither do I. But th- this is this yeah. is this is uh, you know the the like who knows? I mean, we're, we're going to go over my spectrum of, of possibilities. But in the, uh, the 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 situation where there is some kind of insane red wave, these are the kind of things that wind up happening, right? And the thought experiment's very like very interesting. Um, I I'm the like partisanship matters way more in state elections than it ever has. Doesn't matter as much as for federal office. So just give me the Republican who's running in the Trump plus or in the Biden plus three state, not the Biden plus like twenty state or whatever. And the other thing yeah. is that like the, the quality of pollster showing um, Tudor Dixon in a you know competitive race is higher than the quality of pollster actually showing you know a tie or near tie race in New York. So. Which, I mean, from from what I have in front of me, the only people to say tie at all has been Trafalgar for Zeldin versus Hochul. Uh, although a lot of these, especially Zeldin, Hochul and Oz Fetterman have not had uh, a lot of polling since the debates, which I think that the Fetterman Oz one matters more probably than the Zeldin Hochul one. But that is said. So it is said. OK, let's get in to. Well, here you want to know what? Let me let me ask you my my spectrum of possibilities question, and then we'll dig into it. So here here's my four spectrum of possibilities, Scrim. Uh, uh, it, it ranges from the most optimistic for the Democrats to the most optimistic for the Republicans. We start with the most optimistic for the Democrats. It's my gas leak miracle. So please check your house to make sure that your brain isn't slowly dying of uh, oxygen deprivation. If this is what happens because you are a Democrat and you are so happy, the Democrats keep the house and gain one, two, three Senate seats. We then have Dark Brandon's last stand. That is the Democrats barely losing the House, but we're talking like 10 to 15, which kind of just empowers the Freedom Caucus, which is kind of maybe a win for the Democrats anyway. And they maintain their 50-50 Senate. We then begin on the Republican side. The old crow calls at midnight is the Republicans gain 20 plus seats in the House and flip the Senate with 51. And then, of course, the red tsunami. That is uh, the Republicans get 40 uh, uh, House seats or thereabouts and 52 plus seats in the Senate. So gas leak miracle, dark Brandon's last stand, the old crow calls at midnight or red tsunami scrim. Which possibility are you picking? Um, dark Brandon's last stand, obviously. Um, the the problem for Republicans is that they're facing in the House, they're facing a wave of well-funded 
decently bedded in incumbents. Most of the people in the most competitive seats have were the class of 2018 members who just have recurring donations though from all those like resist wine moms. So they all have like three to one, four to one, five to one money advantages on their Republican opponents. And that doesn't mean all of them are going to win. That doesn't mean even most of them are going to win. But the GOP are going to run into a wall in the House sooner than people think. And in the Senate, uh, like I, I, I don't see, I don't see Democrats winning anything more than fifty-one. I don't really see the Republicans winning much more, like fifty-one, maybe fifty-two. And yeah, I think fifty-fifty is, you know, the most likely. Yeah, like even if even if you think Democrats might be slightly favored in in. Uh, like even if you think both sides, one or both sides might be favored in both of Nevada and Pennsylvania, you'd still think it, if they're both roughly going to look, you'd still think the most likely outcome is they split. We just don't know which way. Does it bother you at all? We are seeing uh, this morning that we record this interview, Morning Consult, uh, which has not shown on the generic ballot a Republican lead. They move for the first time to a tie. Does that in any way uh, uh, make you uh, uh, think twice about any of the, at least the house predictions. Um, I mean, it it might move a couple of, it might move like a couple of seats in my internal mental math. But the thing is, I didn't really believe morning console when they were at a D three. So, you know, I've been I've been factoring in an amount of well, the polls are going to be high on Democrats anyways. So. I mean, it probably means that my mental guess of where of where the projection is going to end up and then where it actually does are probably going to converge. So maybe we have a couple seats in the margins, but the house map is pretty. House map is pretty like locked in and it's fairly static at this point. So let's swing to the Senate. You have been probably the most intractable on this race in Georgia. Let me read for you the last several polls here on, uh, these are all post-debate on on Real Clear Politics. We have Landmark Communications that has it at a tie. Atlanta Journal-Constitution is Walker up one. Daily Wire Trafalgar, Walker up two. Rasmussen has Walker up five. The New York Times-Siena polls, which I'm sure we can get into greater detail, is the lone spot for Warnock up three. And then Fox 5 Insider has Walker up three. And you are more resolute than ever that Warnock is going to win this race. Make your case. Uh, so two things. One, every single one of those bolsters, except for uh, except for the Daily Times, Siena, is a Republican favored bolster. Most of whom had uh, Donald Trump winning the state, and I believe all of whom had uh, David Perdue beating John Ossoff in the runoffs. So these are not people. You can't play the historical polling bias game in Georgia the same way you can. The Republicans are trying to flood the zone to make it seem like Walker's more competitive than he truly is. Um, black turnout and early vote in Georgia has been really good. And yes, you Georgia's one of the few states where you can project off of early vote. But more importantly, every poll that has this race, that has Herschel winning or tied in this race, uh, always has Democrats massively underperforming with black voters compared to 2020. 
that's not going to happen. We know that's not going to happen. And so didn't, didn't the New York you, Times poll show it under 2020? No, no, they showed they showed Herschel down to like 7% of the vote at a roughly 80% lead for um Oh wait, oh no, I, I thought about black turnout in general. I thought it was at it was at 30% and then they had it at like 27 or 26. Yeah, they had it slightly low, but that seems to be part of Cohen's attempt to Nick Cohen, the guy who does the polls, uh attempt to um attempt to correct this here. But we know from the early vote stuff that it's about a 30% 30% of the electorate right now is black. Um there is a sizable contingent of the black community that still votes on the day. That's why Democrats got enough on the day votes in both 2020 and 2021 to win. Um, unless unless Herschel Walker is going to win some of those suburban, uh, you know, Kemp 2018, Biden 2020 voters, unless his scandals and his nonsense is going to mean that he doesn't lose any ground with those voters and he doesn't lose any more sort of like left-trending socially liberal voters which every poll has him massively underperforming even Donald Trump with them, then he can't win. If it goes to a runoff, Democrats win because the electorate gets more suburban and blacker than in a general election. And Obama's coming there. No, has he been? I don't know if he's been to Georgia. I think he's coming there still this week. No, he's so, coming. Uh, Obama's in Nevada, uh, or he was in Nevada yesterday. Oh, no, as he already listened to this. Uh, I'm getting my states confused. He's doing Nevada, Arizona, Pennsylvania this week. Yeah. But yeah, no. Black turnout is black not going to be a problem with two black candidates at the top of the ticket. We know it's not a problem because we have the turnout data at this point. And I, you know, projections of early vote led to extreme democratic confidence in 2021 and like we know that you can project it fairly well which is not true of, of some other states that people are trying to make democratic optimism cases in. i i am not quite as fatalistic for the republican chances in a runoff as as you are as we have talked in the past i i do think that that 2021 runoff was weird for a couple different reasons but we can table that for uh, the content that we'll make uh, after this goes to a runoff, therefore giving me another month of things to talk about, which I'll be very thankful for. Uh, uh, let's go to Arizona. The, this, to me, was a a, uh, a seat that I had written off weeks ago. Uh, uh, it, even now, unlike Raphael, or Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker in Georgia, the polling still seems to very consistently show that Kelly is up, although by a shrinking margin. Indeed, it is only that Data for Progress poll that has it tied. I presume that you believe that Kelly will will uh, 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 eke this one out. Yes, because Blake Masters has no money. He's basically been abandoned on the airwaves. Mark Kelly, uh, what happened is Republicans found a bit of money. Peter Thiel found a bit of money got masters to close to you know even on the airwaves got a couple of uh not high not the world's highest quality pollsters um to put a couple pulls out showed a tighter race new york times Siena still has a six point six point race uh in 2018 the times were uh great pulling white voters and really bad at pulling hispanics so if they're more like the 2018 polling than that. That's a really good sign. 
So there's there's reasons for optimism. We haven't had much high quality polling there. Um, I'm expecting we'll get some more. But what happens is when you actually push the undecideds in Arizona, the like when when you get uh, you know five percent undecided, aka a normal amount, Kelly tends to be winning by a bunch. And when you get these like weird like 42, 40, 44, 42s, Kelly's lead shrinks. I don't think there's really any cause for concern. Republicans aren't going in there and spending money. You haven't seen you haven't seen Mitch McConnell put ten million dollars in there. Like that would be the sign to me that Republicans are seeing internal uh, movement as Data. opposed to just yeah. being randomness from not very good public bolsters. Well, let's swing to two races that I find the most interesting. We'll begin with the one that I am flying out to go cover this weekend, and that is Nevada Laxalt versus Cortez Masto. Real Clear Politics has this as a bear Laxalt lead. And indeed, in that New York Times Siena raft of polls, which were by and large a, 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 a big gust of fresh air for Democrats, the one stale fart was a tie in Nevada. Where do you see this? It, 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 we, we've long circled it as the most likely Republican pickup. Do you see it as that? Yes. Um, we just got more, uh, we just got more votes, like early voting data out of it. Doesn't seem like turnouts very high, which, which could suggest that everyone, including Democrats and Republicans are just more likely to vote on election day, which wouldn't be terrible for Democrats or democratic enthusiasm is really, really low. And if that's the case, then Democrats lose because the thing about Nevada is, Nevada polls are generally not that good. They have mostly underestimated Democrats. They underestimated Republicans in 2020. But we've generally been able to tell Democrats had a winning hand on based on turnout data. Turnout's really low in Nevada, which is not really matching the rest of the country's experience at this point, which makes it hard to tell. I think... I. I think I'd say right now Adam Laxalt's like the world's smallest of favorites just because there's uncertainty as to why Democrats aren't voting in the same numbers that, let's be honest, that we would have wanted to. If it just turns out that the reason the mail ballot, like the reason Democrats don't haven't shown up yet is Clark County is really bad at processing mail votes, then we'll see. But I think as of recording, I think Laxalt's in a better position ever so slowly. Yeah. You know, I mean, that might, I've said this from the very, very beginning. We're going to see how well the read machine works without read. And right, uh, exactly. that's the, and that's the thing here. Like we, it's really hard to tell whether this is just sort of the difference in mechanics of the election or that the read machine without read is, you know, like, queen when it's adam lambert singing for them <laughs> well and you know we, we talked to our friend matt donnelly a few weeks ago and and what he was saying is look the culinary workers union is massive right uh not all those jobs have come back there's not a lot of people i mean normally the democratic party would use that union as their door knocking outfit they would they would marshal them to go and knock on doors and make sure that people turn out and get out awareness. 
And so far, you haven't seen a lot of enthusiasm from the union to do it. And apparently you haven't seen a lot of action from it. And and that's apparently changing now, at least according to some reporting. And I'm excited to go out there and talk to people about it. But if that's not the case, then this isn't the vaunted turnout machine that has, you know, made uh, Nevada a democratic state over the past several, you know, decade and a half. Yeah, but the weird thing is, is that that was the point of them becoming a, a vote by mail state is that generally vote by mail increases your floor on turnout which would help democrats and yet again it's the laggard in terms of turnout this cycle like i don't it's it's very hard to tell and it's like very hard to know whether it's just there were some reports that clark county was late to get their ballots out and you know you can still they can still be accepted four days until four days after the election if they were sent off before so like there is still time for democrats to to claw it back but like the point of vote by mail from a like partisan democratic perspective it's nothing to do with like pandemic rules or you know interest like (laughs) democracy is that they think it's easier if it's if it's a vote by mail because that's worked in california um but the weird thing is, is that not even not even going to to, to full vote by mail seems to be saving turnout at this point. And but can I, can I ask you a philosophical question on that? Because vote by mail and early voting in general, prior prior to the pandemic, was the domain of Republicans, right? It was seniors and older white voters that used it the most. Obviously, the the pandemic in the 2020 election changed a lot of that. There, there became different lines for which people identified voting early or voting remote uh, as, as being better. And therefore, it became very much solidly a Democratic idea. But would it be crazy to you if we started reverting back to the mean and, and maybe vote by mail and stuff and early voting is not given forever to be a democratic trend um i mean yeah the the second the gop have a leader who doesn't call mail ballots fraud they'll they'll probably revert back to uh mostly just being a question of age not of yeah partisanship because like mail ballots historically in australia a country that has that has a, a very well established mail uh like mail voting system uh, going back, you know, decades now, those those votes have always skewed right. Yeah, just because of the kind of person who votes by mail, and there's no real reason it should be a democratic like vote method. And that's the thing. Like there is there was a poll, there was a poll research Pew research poll uh, Monday that showed that more Democrats are going to vote on election day, which would be. <laughs> <laughs> which which would make all of these projections about what share and stuff Democrats need in mail and, and early votes all completely irrelevant, not in Nevada specifically, but in America generally. And like if more Democrats are comfortable voting on the day, like like these Nevada numbers are terminal if Democrats keep up their 2020 preference. Yeah. If it's just that a bunch of Democrats have gone from E-Day voters to 2020 early or uh, male voters back to being 2022 E-Day voters. Then these numbers are, are not terminal at all. The problem is we don't know that. And there's a lot. And, of and that, that that's also assuming 2020 level enthusiasm for Democrats, which I think that we can agree does not exist right now. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
No, no, but I'm just saying, like, it's uh, there, like the the problem with all of this is that it's really hard. We we don't know, and anybody who who claims to know any of these paths is, is lying to know with any certainty. And so it's a lot of choose your own adventure based on which which arguments best suits the partisanship of the person you're cheering for. All right, let's move to Pennsylvania. We had a conversation a few weeks ago where we agreed that in general, Senate debates don't matter. They are almost primarily the domain of nerds on Twitter so they can have something to talk about. This debate between Oz and Fetterman was more watched than any Senate debate I can remember in recent memory. It was more discussed. And obviously you had a lot on the line considering John Fetterman had a stroke a few months ago and this was his largest, most uncut time to prove it. I felt that the debate was a total disaster and bordered on campaign malpractice from the Fetterman group. What was your take on the debate itself and its effect on this race? I, I only watched the highlights. So, but I did, I like, like Fetterman did not do well. And I am still wondering whether or not the price they would have paid in just doing and in, in pulling the Katie Hobbs would have been bigger than the price. The counterpoint is, is that, Oh my God, how did Dr. Oz script that abortion question? Like, I, I, I don't, I mean, they, we, we can't play the gaff thing. We can't play the gaff thing when Fetterman was an absolute disaster. Every time he opened no, his mouth, but, I no, did watch the, the is, whole thing. I, no, but the thing is, is that like Oz, Oz had one goal in that debate. Don't do anything because this is all upside for you. And the thing is that the what's the thing that has been played the most from that debate? Fetterman talking. No, because. Yes, yes, yes. Maybe in Democratic circles, it's the Oz thing. Otherwise, it's Fetterman talking. I'm talking about I'm, I'm talking about TV, though. I'm talking about I'm talking about TV because Fetterman's campaign clipped the abortion thing. And I've been <laughs> running it. When I. Uh, I mean, sure. Look, I, 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 I don't know in terms of the airwaves of Pennsylvania what. Uh, I mean, I do know that there, there is air cover of a camp uh, of, of of an ad that's literally just a supercut of Fetterman stumbling on himself and people responding to the debate. Uh, you know that that is run by some Republican leaning super PAC. That being said, I, I don't. I, I, I tend to think that it is copium to rely too heavily on that Oz fumble. I mean, yeah. I mean, the, 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 like the more coherent thing is just like, yeah, it's still a Senate debate. Um, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it wasn't good for Fetterman. Not, not here to say it was, but no, I mean, look, I, 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 and, and this is what I said before. I don't even think that it was necessarily a problem to take it. Although at this point, looking back on it, hindsight being 2020, you probably should have Hobbs did. But the, the, the malpractice in my mind is that he was aggressive. He was super aggressive and, and you can't be that aggressive when you can't talk the way that you want to talk. And, and, and I don't blame him for being, you know, for suffering a stroke, but you know, you can only play with the players that are on the field and, and they had a horrifying playbook for that. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, data for progress is their pollster. So if you want me to get canceled, I can definitely, 
make some comments about the relationship between those two things. But yeah, no, I don't, I don't, if you, because the thing is, is that I was okay with them taking it because we didn't, we don't see him on a day, on a day to day basis. We don't yes. know how he can hold up. We presumably Democrats put him through a mock debate under the lights, under some pressure and saw whether he could hack it or not before they agreed to the debate. If they didn't, they should all be fired. Yes. They should never have but, a job in Democratic politics again. Because the problem is, is that he sounds better, not fine, but he sounds better when he's doing a speech, when he's talking. The next day it came out, he did a thing in Pittsburgh. He sounded better. And the thing is, if the campaign thought, oh, he can do those events, fine, he can do a debate, then they're up a creek without a paddle. Because a debate, yeah, is a different thing. And they, it didn't seem like they were ready for, like, it didn't seem like they knew his condition well enough to know whether or not he would be fine, not just in some abstract sense, but whether he'd be actually fine for that actual debate. Yeah. I mean, it's just, look, when, when you start off having him stumble through an attack line of I'm fighting for Pennsylvania, he's using it. I've worked here. He's buying the seat before you get into uh, hey, I, 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 here's the elephant in the room. I had a stroke. And in that moment, I thought about leaving public life and I couldn't leave Pennsylvania behind. Like if you begin with rolling over and saying, look, uh, of course, let's paint it red. I have this condition. Then you're totally neutering Oz. And anytime that you stumble, you've already said that you were going to stumble. The fact that they put him out there as, as a terrier and they tried so desperately to get this Oz rule line uh, uh, off the ground, which is how you know that everything was a failure because they had him repeat that six times, and each yeah, time it, I, when I he's on TV's live, which means it failed because nobody knows right. it because they wanted that to be their trending topic. Right, exactly. Like they they lucked into the abortion moment, and like don't need to relitigate whether it matters or not. But like their thing out of the debate, yeah, they wanted it to be the Oz rule, and then yes. they got lucky that Oz did the, you know, local political leaders line. But like, yeah, still don't know what the Oz rule is supposed to be. And I like to do this for quasi my living. Um, I'm going to express a but potentially controversial opinion, though. Okay. I'm still going to win. Well, I, I mean, look, I, I I think that this is a 50-50 race here. Uh, uh, the only thing that I would say about the, the, those, the New York Times Siena polls that came out is that the – the Pennsylvania one happened half of it before the debate happened. I would love to have seen that poll this week and not. I am. I am assuming, and and this could this could easily get me like old takes exposed. Would be shocked if Fox doesn't have the Pennsylvania poll before election day. At least, I mean, the only one least. that's come out afterward was the snap poll that happened the day after the debate, and that was Insider Advantage with Oz plus three. But Insider Advantage is a Republican leaning poll. Right. And like you also get into the thing of like Obama's polls collapsed the day after his terrible debate and then they reverted back when the debate sort of fell out of the theme. So it could just be the Democrats didn't want to answer Pennsylvania Democrats felt pretty bad about the debate and just didn't want to answer their phones. Could be a real movement. We need more pollsters to confirm it. Um but the problem is that Oz still has fifty plus percent disfavorables and disapprovals. He no does. one likes them. And that's the problem for that's the problem for the GOP is that if they picked a candidate, they just pick 
if they just picked anybody, anybody else, pick any of the. No, you have to ride. You have to ride with this because we talked during the we talked during the primaries, and you thought that Oz was more electable than McKinnon. Okay, but David McCormick. Okay, but like McCormick. Sorry, not not McKinnon. Like a literal, not like a literal, like just evil hedge fund guy. Pick (laughs) any of the congressmen. Pick any of the congressmen. They would have won at this point. Like, yes. Do I think in the competition between maniacally evil, like, uh, you know, hedge fund guy who's literally just like a cartoon villain at Oz? Yeah, I, th- I still think Oz is more electable. I, 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 I just think. I just think Pennsylvania's 50 50. I, I, I think no matter who, especially post Dobbs, this was going to be hard. And obviously this is a topsy turvy race because the television doctor man is running against a guy who had a stroke. But like in general, this is what. Pennsylvania state politics look like that unless you just get increasingly bizarre and weird like Doug Mastriano did. If you run a fairly competent race, then this is going to come down to one or two percentage points on either side. Yeah. And I think the thing is, is that like both Fetterman, whoever wins won against the person they could beat, right? If Fetterman wins, then Fetterman post stroke only beat only like beat the guy he could beat in Oz. And if Oz wins, it's he won because of the stroke. I, well, I, I mean, but also like, like you, you said, look, partisanship is what it is. And it's very yeah. high right now to, to which is this. Why I think Democrats will be, which is why I think Democrats won't care as much about the, the, the fact that Fetterman's of, you know, recovering and, and everything. Yeah. Oh, I mean, there's certainly for democratic partisans, you can you can have a, a bag of sugar and uh, staple the things you wanted to vote for. And and many would be comfortable sending it to Congress. Same on the Republican side. But, you know, it is the question of you know, the reason why the debate I do think matters on some level is that it highlighted his biggest weakness, which is fitness to serve. And that goes beyond politics. And And to me, it's not necessarily anybody who's going to switch from Fetterman to Oz. But if we're talking about decreased Democratic enthusiasm, that's that's the kind of stuff that I think keeps people home. I mean, yeah, it, little evidence of it in early vote, but it's also in Pennsylvania state where like the early vote stuff is all wild and weird. So yeah, because that also is they've been happening for what two and a half weeks now. <laughs> the early vote that's why that's why Fetterman wanted that debate as late as he could. Yeah, so it's I mean even even since the debate there hasn't been a, a drop off in Democrats setting in their votes, but also again the people who are early voting could just be. A wildly unrepresentative sample in terms of how partisanly democratic they are, and just yeah. because ten of ten Democrats still are like, no, I still want to vote for the guy, you know, and the the media is being you know ableist or whatever. Uh, you're six of ten, seven of ten Democrats. Those are the people we need to know about, and we have no evidence yet whether or not they're they moved or not. But Oz is just really, really unpopular, and that's not great for Republicans who want to take advantage of Fetterman's weakness. Predict it has a, uh, a bet on what the closest Senate rate race is going to be. And they have it between Nevada and Georgia. Would you pick either of those two or Oz Fetterman for what the closest race is going to be? Nevada. There's just less people. Which means that it's easier to get, uh, it's easier to get sort of small, like a small variation. We know it's just going to be about turnout. 
Whereas when you just massively ratchet up the 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 numbers of people to either Georgia or even uh even Pennsylvania levels, you just create more variance. I'm also way higher on Raphael Warnock than consensus, so I think he probably wins by like I think he wins by two plus, and that is just, does the libertarian get more or less than two, two and a half. Um and I just think there's a pretty wide range of outcomes in Pennsylvania from yeah. the yeah. debate doesn't really matter at all. Fetterman wins 52-48 to the, the debate's a disaster. Democrats don't turn out. Independents rallied Oz and he wins by four or five too. So like there's, I just think wide range of outcomes whereas the model looks fairly narrow. All right. Final roll call here. Just tell me the name of the candidate that's going to win on midterm night. Florida. Rubio. We know what your pick in Georgia is. North Carolina. Ted Budd. Ohio. J.D. Vince. Nevada. I don't like them doing this, but Adam Laxalt. And Arizona. Mark Kelly. And just for laughs, Wisconsin. Ron Johnson. People yeah, stop, stop doing the Ohio thing and stop doing the Wisconsin thing, people. I know. I know. But just because this is the final time. The final time. No, no, I'm more go. about it by mentions than Oh than my God. Asking. The fact that the Lincoln Project man is in Ohio trying to raise money for Tim Ryan is like like that's that is for people who donate to political causes on the Democratic side. That's betting the 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 Hawaii game because you've you've lost so much. Like you have a problem. Like like that is you betting the Pro Bowl. If you are yeah. giving money to Tim Ryan because the Lincoln Project man told you that it was a very important race, like that means you legitimately have a problem. And and for this for your own fiscal safety, you need to uh, take a break. Yeah, you need to find the political campaigns need what sports betting sites have, and they have the self-exclude button. Just have to self-exclude. Also, I'm really, I really can't wait until these campaigns send out their final fundraising blasts on the weekend, because yep. the only purpose of a final weekend uh, blast is campaign staff want an open bar. It's the only reason why, because at this point, your donations are functionally valueless. So, yeah, but what they pay for is open bars the campaign party so if you want to if you want to help your your local democrat uh you know either suffer suffer the indignity of a loss or celebrate a win do, donations could be very helpful but don't think they're going to move the race in any way at this point and considering how many outsized debts uh, uh remain for a lot of these campaigns it it usually is also to try to pay off all the people that you've been telling you were definitely going to pay off at some point toward the end of the campaign <laughs> uh yeah. Scrimshaw, thank you so much. It has been an honor serving with you throughout these midterms, and uh, we will, I'm sure, do a postmortem at some point going forward. In fact, oh, actually, here, let me ask you this. One last question out the door. Let's say that this goes not the crazy red tsunami way, right? But it goes the flip of what you think. So it's not Dark Brandon's last stand with the 50-50 Senate. Instead, the Republicans get 20-plus seats in the House, and let's say they get 52 seats in the Senate. Who are you pre-targeting as your reason why that happened? 
If you're going to go into that alternate universe, I'm opening up the Stephen Strange portal and you are walking through it. And now you have to do that take. What is that take? Uh, Joe Biden spent too much money. Like, yeah, there, there's going to have to be, if, if it happens, it's because of inflation. And then we get into a question of was all of the American rescue package or plan or whatever the hell the name of that thing was, was all of it necessary? Probably not. Was some of that inflationary? Probably. And I think all of like, all of this should not be. Democrats shouldn't even have a chance. The fact that they got Dobbs at a, at, at a you know helpful time, yeah. saved them. But they shouldn't have a chance. They shouldn't. They should not have a chance to win Pennsylvania at this point. They shouldn't be in with much of a shot in Nevada. Like the GOP should have fifty-one walking away, and then they should be like, well, and then we should be like, well, can Warnock maybe like stop Herschel from getting to fifty, and then maybe a runoff magic again? But no, it's it's Joe Biden, it's inflation, and you probably need to start back with the fact that everyone made the took the wrong lesson from the last recession, which was, oh, we can just spend as much money as as we need, and inflation is not going to be that big of a problem. Yeah, and well, we tried that trick again, and it didn't work. All right, Scrim, where can people find your work? Uh, scrimtronscripted.substack.com. Gonna have a few more articles uh, out this week there, but I am writing my big political betting final race preview for thelines.com. Uh, I also do NFL content there, so check that out if you want uh, sort of written uh, versions of some of the arguments I've made here. And uh, follow me on Twitter at eScrimshow. Always a great time, my friend. I will see you after the midterms. Thanks for having me. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, politics, politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. You want to thank Scrim for uh, for being here this entire time. I don't care if you like the fact that that he is 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 a, a Democratic guy that he likes the Democratic Party. He came on here without fail every few weeks and lent his expertise. I would appreciate it if, from all sides of the aisle, you guys could just. Give him a tip of the hat. Thanks for coming on because we all get a chance to hang out together and chop this stuff up on a granular level that uh, you don't really hear other places. Look, if other people were doing it like this, then I probably wouldn't do it because I don't even think I'm all that good at it. But we do. We can. We will. We must. PX3Guest.com. Again, send me emails for our uh, uh, AMA That will take place on this podcast the Friday after the midterms. That is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. On Twitter, you can follow the show, px3tweets on Twitch. And remember, this is going to be important because that will be where we have our live coverage on midterm night. It's going to begin an hour before polls close on the East Coast. So that is, I believe, 7 p.m. Eastern time, 6 p.m. Central. Do your own math if you're in California. Uh, px3live.com. One more time for that. P 
X3 Live, letter P, letter X, number three, live.com. Share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy, px3podcast.com. If you would like to, uh, you know, now I'm on the road again this weekend, so give me money that I will tip a bartender with, paypal.me slash payjury. On Venmo, justin-young-20. On Cash App, it is px 3 Cash and uh, you can send anything to the mail. P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas 78715. Again, P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas 78715. Of course, the only way that you get our bonus content is by going to takepoliticsseriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule. And the Titanic $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the show like these fine folks. Andres, Matt, Craig Potts, MC Dradio, Unsafe DB Levels, Katie, Amanda, Yeo, Pinball Shop, TP4, Bongo, Catherine, Todd, persons familiar with the matter, Vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, Edison, Up, Up, Down, Down, Left, Right, Left, Right, B.A., Dr. G, Neil, Charles, Darren, 100-Mile Runner, Idris, Arslandian, Blue Friend, and the Lenina, D.L., Stephen, Chad, Nomadic, Terran, Diana's Turn 2, Miranda, Janelle, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul is awesome. Brad, Richard, just another pilot, middle-aged Mike who loves Frank got abducted. Utah, Jimmy Montana, the Gen A-L-D-L-D-L-D. Really? Chopper. Andrew and Joshua. That wraps it up for us today. Our final episode before the midterms in the free feed will feature... Our friend Bill Share, one of the other voices that you have heard throughout this entire process, we are going to uh, break down his view of this midterm. We will ask him where he places himself on the spectrum of possibilities. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's all going down. So next time, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss three. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) Dog and Pony Show Audio.